We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz, presented by OTGBasketball.com and NetsRepublic.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. What's up, Jack? Preseason's well upon us, only days away from Nets basketball. Yes, Jack. Preseason has been somewhat exciting. You know, we still have some pros and cons. We'll talk about that maybe a little bit later after the show. But today, we're previewing the season for Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris, your boy. Before we get started, as always, just a quick reminder, check us out on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Dash Radio. But, Jack, let's start with Spencer Dinwiddie. You know, last season he took a major jump. He went from fringe NBA player to third and most improved. You know, top of the league in assisted turnover ratio. What were your thoughts on Dinwiddie from last year? Yeah, Dinwiddie was awesome last year, Nick. You know, without him, you know, we would have been even less successful as a team. Bowed us out in plenty of late-game situations. Probably one of our best players. You know, third and most improved. Um, He just has turned himself from, you know, a fringe NBA player to be uh, a legitimate, you know, bona fide starter, and you know, if not one of the the top six man contenders, um, and an absolutely awesome season for our Nets, and you know, garnered some trade buzz. Was a up and down season of him of sorts, but overall, he was just uh, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and if you want more info on uh, Dinwiddie season, check out our season review on iTunes. But success or disappointment last year? This is an easy one, Jack. Yeah, he was the most successful player on our roster, I think, Nick. Um, I, I think that if you if you're thinking anything otherwise, then you don't know our Nets. Yeah, he definitely took one of the biggest jumps, like we said, just going from maybe somebody you don't view as an NBA player to somebody who now is getting trade calls for him and getting offered first-round picks. So, But looking at his game a little bit, obviously strength, high basketball IQ, good passer, he can hit some deep threes. You know, he did a good job isoing bigs last year. What are some other strengths of Dinwiddie? Yeah, I think his decision-making and general ability to sort of run the floor. When You know, we mentioned his passing, his assisted turnover ratio, his overall assists. You know, he just knows how to get the ball into the right situations. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier his clutch play. You know, that game against Detroit where he had uh, Andre Drummond in the spin cycle was uh, a real highlight of the season for me. Uh, and, yeah, those long threes. Uh, a stat, Nicholas. He apparently had 
from 30 feet, over 30 feet, he was at one stage, I think it was at the end of the season, had the most threes made from 30 plus feet, 11 of them. And Damian Lillard had nine. So he knows how to nail them deep threes. He's Steph-like in that sort of uh, regard. Yeah, he can drop some bombs. And like you said, I think he had three game-winning shots last season. So big year in terms of clutch play. You know, weakness-wise, though, you know, the shooting percentages aren't great. You know, the shot selection at times can be a little bit bad. You know, he can hit those deep threes, but sometimes he does it a little early in the shot clock. And I think defensively, there's a lot of room for improvement given his wingspan and his athleticism. What are your thoughts weakness-wise on Dewey? Yeah, I'd probably echo those ones that you just mentioned, Nick. Uh, I think consistency can be a little bit of an issue with him as well. I think the consistency relates to his effectiveness. He can have up and down nights from the field, whether it be the from the perimeter or even just in general. Um, so I think that for me is just one sort of key area. And because it was such a breakout season for him, he's going to learn to sort of, you know, be able to find that level where his floor is a lot closer to his ceiling uh, or, or at least, you know, his floor is not as bad as, you know, some of his games were last year. Yeah, consistency is a great point because, you know, at fatigue sometimes during the season, it felt like, you know, he'd disappear for three quarters, then maybe pop up in the fourth quarter, have a big thing. So I think Dinwiddie getting more consistent and kind of adjusting to that role, like you said, now teams kind of know who he is. But moving on to improvement, where do you want to see Dinwiddie improve this season? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, made the point. We've sort of talked about it already in the few minutes. There's just his effectiveness and consistency for me, Nick. Um, I, I think the three-point shoot is going to be a big one. You know, he barely shot 33% last year. Obviously, he had to take a lot of, like, late clock shots, which I think uh, probably affected, the, affected those percentages somewhat. Uh, I did a piece for Nets Republic on, I think, the fact that he can be uh, a six-man-of-the-year candidate, um, depending on the role that Kenny asks of him. So for me, it's about consistency as a scorer and a consistency as his effectiveness from the field. That's the number one sort of improvement for me. Yeah, same thing over here. The shooting numbers, like you said, three-point wise, you know, he can definitely knock down some big shots and had some consistent stretches from threes. Some of the times it's just like shooting too many pull-up uh, pull threes or step-back threes. And some of that, like you said, was his teammates. We'll talk about in a little bit. And I think sometimes when he's attacking the rim, just, you know, don't look for foul calls as much. Look to make the basket. And then if you get the foul call, that's great. There's always going to be on-call fouls in the NBA, especially when you're driving in the, a crowded paint. And like I mentioned before, I think defensively, we've seen a little bit in preseason. I just think that he's a high basketball IQ type of guy where he can be a better defender and have a bigger impact on that side of the floor. But how can his teammates and uh, coaches help him, Jack? Yeah, just uh, quickly before, just touching the things that you said, Nick, I think you mentioned his size and in terms of getting to the line more and being uh, a more effective defender, I think that's one thing just plain that he doesn't really have to improve on at all, just using and knowing his body and how to get into the right positions and how to contort his body, you know, how to move laterally, how to get to the line a little bit more, draw contact. He's a big dude for a guard, and we have a lot of those big guards, and a lot of them, like Spencer, can do that. But in terms of how that can help him, I think playing him with those sort of lesser lineups, last season he was playing against starting caliber uh, opponents on regular occasions due to the injuries to D'Lo and Levert and such. So I think playing against those lesser lineups will allow him to to bully them a little bit, uh, if you will. And that's part of the reason why I think he can be a six man of the year candidate. Uh, and then we'll also not forcing him to sort of take those late clock shots. It, it's sort of like he's the bailout guy. You know, if you have him with the Shabazz Napier or Joe Harris out there, then, you know, he can kick it out to one of those guys that can make a perimeter shot rather than forcing Spencer to take those, you know, late deep shots that probably aren't as effective or, you know, just feeding Ed Davis into the paint a little bit, give him sort of a post move or something to play with. Um, so I think those are sort of two things that the coaches and his teammates can do to help him a little bit.
Yeah, I think that's spot on, Jack. You know, just less touches with a shot clock expiring. Maybe it's like five seconds at the top, and there's really not much for you can do, especially with some of the teammates on the floor not able to knock down a jumper or create for themselves. And like you said, you know, I think having better teammates in terms of shooting on the floor and just knowing how to play basketball, even the bench unit's going to have a little bit more veteran infused with like a Jared Dudley and Ed Davis and whatnot. So I think that should benefit him. And like you said, you know, sometimes I think playing with other creators will help him too. You know, now the Nets not only have, you know, Karis LeVert, D'Lo, Dinwoody, I think Shabazz can create a little bit for them. Just other ball handlers out there. Where last season there were times on the floor it was either Dinwoody out there or LeVert out there when D'Lo was injured. And it was just a lot of pressure on him to constantly create and kind of do everything for the offense. So I think that should kind of help him this year having a better team. Yeah, definitely. Now looking at his role this season, we talked about him being a starter last year. Do you think he'll be a starter this season or a bench player? I think it, he'll, he's very likely to change to a bench player. We've seen the preseason already. You know, Levert's sort of taken a little bit of a jump at times to being a starter. I think Spence is more likely, due to his fit with the with the reserves and also his fit with the starting lineup, that I think he's going to play a bench role. But he could certainly see some starter minutes. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll be more of a bench role, like you said, kind of move down a little bit, and he'll be able to kind of take advantage of that role. We saw when D'Lo was 100% last year as well, they put Dinwiddie to the bench. Now, usage-wise, do you expect him to take a little bit of a dip? Yeah, I think the minutes-wise, I think he'll say at about 26 minutes, around that 25-plus range. Um, he's a very effective player. He knows how to run the floor. He keeps the ball well. Uh, but yeah, I think the usage, which was a, a tad over 20% last season, I think that that might stay the same. Could even increase if he's playing with the, the second unit a lot more. You know, He's a player that doesn't really need the ball in his hands for extended periods of time to be effective. He makes the right decisions. He makes the right plays. So I think Spencer is just a guy who doesn't over-dribble the ball. He gets rid of the ball when need be. Um, and I think he'll hopefully be a more effective player this season. And I think his usage and minutes will reflect that. Yeah, I agree. I think the minutes could take a slight dip, obviously, because everyone's healthy and they have a lot more depth on this team. Usage-wise, I think he could take a slight dip or stay the same. You know, just like you said, because he's so good at passing, getting others involved, he doesn't need to necessarily look for scoring a lot. And just when he's playing with other guards like D'Lo or Levert, I think they're going to look more to kind of keep the ball moving offensively instead of trying to create themselves. But statistically, what do you expect from him? Yeah, I'm thinking 14 points, five and a half, five and a half assists, and three rebounds per game. But more importantly, I'm hoping for 35% from the perimeter. I think if he could take that nice little jump, you know, he can be a little bit more effective. Then I think his scoring can jump a little bit. I mentioned for him to get into that six-man race on my article for Nets Republic. That if he hovers around that 14, 15-point range, then it could certainly take a jump. And all it takes is, you know, a couple of increased uh, field goal percentages and three-point percentages for him to take that minor jump. And I think that um, he's certainly within reach of, of being in those uh, award conversations. I have a little bit slightly uh, less than some of the numbers, 12 points per game. I think around five assists, three rebounds. I'm hoping for a shade over one steal because like I mentioned before, and you mentioned the size and length he has defensively and the high basketball IQ, he should kind of get involved more in passing lanes. And like you said, shooting wise, I'm hoping he can at least get over 40% from the field, you know, 42 and then 35, like you said, from three, I think would be really nice. Yeah, Nick, obviously there's plenty of questions surrounding Spencer Dinwiddie uh, in terms of his trade status. I think he's the number one sort of thing. So in terms of that, do you think going into the trade deadline and even you know, next year's offseason come, say, April if the Nets aren't in the, in the playoff race, do you think that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be in net come February, come April? Yeah, this is honestly one of the tough ones, and this will be a narrative the whole season. 
I think some of this depends on, like we've mentioned for, you know, Damari Carroll and RHJ on that pod a little bit. You know, if the Nets are competing for the playoffs and everything's kind of working out, I think they might look to keep Spencer and just have that, you know, guy to run that second unit. Like you said, he also gives them some security in the sense of free agency where, like, maybe they strike out. Now they have Spencer doing where they can bring him back, bring back this core. You know, not saying he's going to, like, get a ton better, but at least you have another solid player in the team. I think if the price is right, though, in terms of the deadline, if they're offered, like, a mid first round pick like last year they turned down a late first round pick i wouldn't be surprised if they took it this year just because he's expiring but like we've said on a whole bunch of shows this is one of the easiest contracts to trade for and then obviously there's been rumor that maybe the spurs could get involved with the Dejounte murray injury but what do you think in the trade front yeah he's obviously he his status and his his play last season made him a real coveted commodity uh for the nets and just around the nba in general you know we talked about the suns at length you know there's always teams that can use a capable point guard um probably the most important position in today's game despite uh obviously the 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 growing influx of the big men and the unicorns going around but for me yeah i think you know if we're going february i think it's less likely because i think that by then he'll still want or the at least the front office and the coaching staff will want spencer to solidify his status as you know a a capable nba player but come april if we're not in the playoffs then i think that there's you know an increased likelihood and as you mentioned you know, that trade deadline, you know, when the teams are sort of clamoring, you know, the fringe playoff teams are always making those big, splashy moves. Detroit went out there, tried to get Blake Griffin so uh, Van Gundy could save his job. The Spurs with the John Murray, I think is a really interesting point you make, Nick. I think Spencer probably gives him, he'd be uh, a perfect Spur. Sean Marks, you know, former Spur uh, executive. So, you know, Spencer Dimity in that system, I think would be absolutely fantastic. But not that I want to see him leave, uh, mind you, but um, hopefully... You know, I think that the Nets have given themselves in terms of the front office, have given them enough room to maneuver and they need to realize, you know, that when the right time to strike is. And, you know, obviously Sean Marks has paid the big bucks or bigger bucks than us uh, to <laughs> make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing, too, to think about is obviously they signed Shabazz Napier, so that is another guy they have in case they were to trade Dinwiddie. Even if they're in the playoff hunt, I know I mentioned that before. If their price is right, I think they will do the move. And like you said, the Spurs. And now the Suns firing McDonough, the GM, and it looks like the word from ownership is the Suns are trying to win now, and obviously they're going to need a starting point guard, so maybe they could get back in the mix a little bit. But overall, you know, I think a lot's going to a lot of matter on the net season. Do you think Dinwiddie will increase his value this year or decrease it because he won't be a starter and seeing as many touches? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to say. I think you, if you're going by just uh, virtue of optics, I think it'll probably decrease it by virtue of the fact that he won't be out there as much. You know, it'll be, you know, the D'Lo and Karras show, uh, so to speak, you know, Jared Allen, all these guys trying to prove themselves uh, even further. Whereas Spencer Dinwiddie will sort of be like, you know, a Terry Rogier sort of type, uh, an Isaiah Thomas sort of type. It's why I sort of advocated um, when I was speaking to Nicholas Letourneau about, can I write this article? I think that he's got a legitimate claim at being a six-man-of-the-year contender. You know, guys that can prove themselves against starters caliber competition, but then be able to maneuver themselves and use their skills against, you know, the lesser calibers. You know, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Terry Rogier, a lot of these six-man candidates, Lou Williams, are guards that can get buckets. And if Spencer Dibbony increases his effectiveness, then I think, you know, he can maintain his status. But obviously, it's going to be, you know, uh, the optics around the NBA in general, we can't necessarily decide. But I think us as Nets fans, we know what, you know, Spencer can do against, you know, elite competition, uh, no matter what the team is. Yeah, and they even play devil's advocate a little bit. I think you could probably make an argument that if he does so well in the bench role, it helps his value because now he seems more if he can fit into different roles on the yep. team. 
and you don't have to worry about necessarily getting him as a starter where it makes him almost more attractive to a contender where now you're like, all right, we have this guy we can bring off the bench, really give us some scoring punch, can start if necessary. So I think Dinwiddie, a lot's going to depend on his efficiency. I feel like if I was a team looking at him like, all right, these shooting numbers last year, you know, they're they're not good. They're pretty bad, to be honest. And if he can get those up to a more respectable number, I think that would help his value a lot. And that will kind of impact the Nets, maybe if they want to keep him long term or trade him or whatnot. Now, I know you mentioned starter. Do you think Spencer Dinwiddie's a starter in the NBA or he's more of a fringe starter or more best in a bench role? I think he's a fringe starter. Uh, I think to be, you know, a, a bona fide starter at the point guard position is incredibly tough in one of the the most stacked positions uh, in the league. You know, our top fifty photo G Mick Corey and I came up with. You know, the point guard position was just you know absolutely insane trying to come up with Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. All these guys are in that top fifteen range, and that's just off the top of my head. Um, for Spencer Dinwiddie to sort of become a bona fide starter, I think he can be sort of like a, a Darren Collison type starter, you know, a guy that can sort of fit in um, and, you know, on those sort of lesser teams like the Phoenix Suns, Orlando Magic. But if you're talking about, you know, playoff ready teams, uh, he's proven himself, you know, in terms of his assist to turnover ratio. So I certainly think you can make an argument for either. But I think he's in that range of sort of like we were talking about Dilo where he can finish his season next year. You know, I think he's in that range of, you know, Terry Rozier, Dennis Schroeder, these sort of guys, Darren Collison, where they're very capable, you know, top half, you know, NBA elite guards. But, you know, he's not in the sort of upper echelon, uh, but he has those upper echelon skills in terms of his decision making and his assist play. Yeah, I think that's they're all fair points. I think you know, he's probably best as a bench player. If he's a starter on a team and he's the fourth or fifth option and you have really good players around him, yeah, you could definitely start him. But in most situations, I think he'd be best coming off the bench, like you said. Any other thoughts on Spencer, Jack? I think it's going to be, I've, I've mentioned this probably about every single player, Nick. It's a very intriguing season for him. Uh, also, forgot to mention at the top of the show, congrats to Nick and Cynthia at uh, the engagement lately. You know, he's making waves on Twitter. Everyone's retweeting him. I've never seen so many retweets for Nick when he's doing Nets content, but uh, Cynthia's certainly getting him uh, that Twitter, tra- Twitter traction. Say that five times, but congrats, Mikey. <laughs> I really appreciate it, Jack. I did get engaged this past weekend. Uh, me and my girlfriend have been together for almost eight years, you know, coming up on the 10th. So shout out to her. And like you said, Jack, she's helped me out Twitter-wise, getting me some extra traction. But uh, back to Spencer, I got one last question. If he does stay in the Nets, do you think he's back next season or he's gone? Yeah, I think – I actually think he will be back, Nick, because uh, as the the rumblings around Kyrie Irving and all the other free agents, Clay Thompson and such, uh, are that they're likely to stay, I think that – you know, the Nets will likely make the right decision in, in, in the sense, like you sort of uh, alluded to earlier, you know, we don't have to necessarily break the bank for a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. We can offer him a Josh Richardson-style sort of contract, you know, four years, 48 million, four years, 40 million. He may be willing to take a discount. You know, Joe Harris with that two years, $16 million, two years, $16 million contract. Um, I think that he's more likely to stay than not. Um, you know, if you're giving me a percentage either way, I think that, Spencer Dinwiddie is either going to be traded or he's going to be re-signed. Um, but at the same time, I think that Sean Marks and Coach Kenny value continuity. So he could leave to greener pastures, uh, similarly with like a Damari Carroll. Uh, but I would rather, you know, we've sort of seen Sean Marks make those flips in terms of mid-season for guys like Trevor Booker to get the extra assets on board. So, I mean, I hope he makes the the decision which, you know, benefits the Nets the most in terms of either getting a return or, you know, re-signing. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't begrudge whatever happens uh, to Spencer Dimity. But um, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, you're, I agree with a lot of what you said, Jack. I think if, you know, Spencer was traded, that tells you, you know, the Nets were planning to re-sign him. If they do keep him, there's a better chance to re-sign him unless they were to get, you know, one of the big max guys to come over here or a couple free agents lined up and, you know, Spencer's looking for a bigger contract or maybe he's going to get from a team who's really needing a point guard. But like you said, not only could they get him on a solid deal, and I hate to keep bringing up trades with Dinwiddie because it's not like I don't like him. I like him as a person as well, but he'd be on a really tradable contract too if a big fish were to go on the market and the Nets need to kind of fill someone in who's a solid player and I think Dinwiddie fits that bill and they also I think believe have their his bird right so even though they signed some of the bigger guys and they wanted to keep him anyways now they just have another solid vet to come off the bench but uh that's it for Dinwiddie moving on to Joe Harris Jack I'm just going to pass it to you you can talk the rest of the show but yes, uh, season review on uh Joe Harris I think the most important thing to know is Joe it's still Joe Harris on the nets the beard it's the same guy but uh, last year, one of the most consistent Nets, you know, he improved in a lot of different areas. You know, the Nets call him a culture guy, re-signed this offseason, two years, 16 mil. Thoughts on Joe Harris last season? Oh, Joe Harris last season, uh, he, as, as well as capturing, you know, the Nets' Twitter sphere, he captured my heart, Nicholas. Um, <laughs> it was an insane season from Harris. Uh, still disappointed that he didn't make the three-point contest. Um, his off-season, obviously, Joey Buckets, the Mountaineer, has become a, a trending Twitter theme. He looks gorgeous with that beard. You know, his shaggy look. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, trim it up a little bit. Maybe hit up one of the Brooklyn barbers down there. You know, we know he loves his Brooklyn style, catching that subway and such. But um, outside of, you know, off the court of things, Joe Harris was absolutely awesome. You know, his effectiveness, uh, his role, uh, he exceeded all expectations. He was uh, one of the best Nets players in terms of his consistency. Yeah, he's one guy where you knew what to expect every single night. It's like, all right, Joe Harris, even if he's knocked down, not knocking down the three, he's still doing good things on the court. But uh, I don't even have to ask you this. Obviously, last year was a success for Joe Harris, especially for you and your heart. But strength-wise, you know, obviously a great three-point shooter. His ability to drive to the rim last year, taking advantage of defenses, you know, overplaying that three-point line. I think he was a solid passer and as well high effort every night. Other strengths on Joe? Yeah, that high effort, I think just the energy off the bench. He was just able to right, make the right plays at the right time. You know, we sort of talked, we've talked about a little bit about our other players in terms of what we want from them. A lot of the things that is what Joe Harris possesses, just making the right play at the right time, knowing when to make the right shot, making the right shot, making the right pass, you know, making the right defensive play, you know, driving to the rim. All these little things Joe Harris does, he's not necessarily, you know, elite, uh, despite some of the percentages. He is elite in some areas, but he just knows how to do it. And because he, you know, would execute at the right time, it reflected well in his percentages and it, it sort of made him look better than his skill set necessarily dictates. So uh, an absolute awesome season and just so many strengths from Joe Harris. Yeah. And one thing that allowed him to kind of execute so well is he's a guy that plays in his role. You know, he doesn't try to do too much. He knows his game, and he's going to really execute there. Now, talking weaknesses, obviously he's not a guy that's going to break you down and create for the offense. Not an elite defender, not an elite athlete. Any other weaknesses, Jack? I know that's a hard part to talk about for you. Oh, talking about weaknesses of Joe Harris is like talking about weaknesses on the Space Jam uh, movie. <laughs> I can't say nothing bad about it, Ab. I think you mentioned, you know, creating his own shot. I think shooting off the dribble a little bit. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing that sort of from him next season when we get to the improvements. I think that that's one area that he can improve on. Um, um, you know, because he's got that confidence in him now. We've seen him do all the right things in terms of, you know, the sort of little things and, you know, what we want from him as a, as a bench player. But I think, you know, if he, for him to make the next sort of jump, he needs to sort of make those little incremental improvements for him to be an even more effective player. Yeah. Now talking about improvements, where do you want to see those improvements next year? 
Yeah, I think just creating his own shot, you know, shooting off the dribble a little bit more, being able to just uh, develop himself to being more than a catch-and-shoot guy. I think, you know, we look at sort of a guy like JJ Redick, you know, that guy can just make shots from anywhere. And I think Joe Harris, I want him to be sort of that sort of guy where you can just throw him the ball and he just hits it bang out of nowhere, whether it's on the move, whether it's off the dribble. Um, Because he has such a a good driving game now, uh, teams are starting to sort of uh, game plan for that a little bit. They know had to sort of scatter a little bit more. So I think he needs to vary up his game a little bit more, become a little bit more diversified. But, you know, he's, his consistency is so uh, top-notch that I think he's going to continue to make those plays, even if teams can defend for it. But, yeah, for me, shooting up the dribble is what going to take him from, from being a very good player to being, you know, a possibly great player off the bench. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a good uh, good point to add. You know, maybe a mid-range pull-up jumper just when he's driving, when the team's kind of committing to that. It'll definitely help him a little bit scoring. And, like, you know, keep improving as a three-point shooter. Obviously, he shot around almost 42% last year, but I think he could even get better. He has a really nice stroke. And then defensively, you know, like I said, he's not a great athlete, but he could probably get a little better defensively just, you know, studying a little bit more tape, getting his hands in there, being a little bit more aggressive. But other than that, not really a ton of improvement needed. I think if the Nets got almost the same season they got from Joe Harris last year, they'd be pretty happy. Yeah, it was funny. I remember tweeting out a, a video of Joe Harris uh, from a YouTube video from Give Me Sport, um, a video that I've watched plenty of times, mind you. It's been like 5,000 views. I think I've watched it 4,900 times. <laughs> um, but uh, I actually, some of the defensive things that he was talking about, I stole because, you know, obviously, you know, we, we love our pickup basketball here at OTG and, and at the Brooklyn Buzz. But I just watched these little things, you know, things that he learned in college that have sort of stayed with him in terms of his mechanics and in terms of the little things in terms of like, you know, following the ball with his hands. He does all those little things that, you know, some players that are on our Nets roster and in the NBA in general could learn a thing or two from. Just being able to you know, have his hand follow the ball, follow the player, uh, following the hips and such. Um, he does those things well, but obviously he's not an elite athlete. You know, he doesn't have, you know, uh, out of this world athleticism, but he makes up for it with the fundamentals. Yeah, and that's always smart, you know, playing into your role and kind of understanding who you are who you are as well. Now, talking about how the team can help him next year and the coaches, what do you think? Uh, I think giving Harris a little bit more of the green light to create his own offense, as we sort of said, make his own plays a little bit more, continuing to look for him in, you know, spot-up situations, creating specific plays and schemes outside of the timeouts, whether it's ATO plays, you know, focusing on his strengths. You know, I think you can make a play if you have – Joe Harris and Alan Crabb out there, create a play for, for like literally the same guy. And if it doesn't work for, uh, for Crabb, give it to Harris. I think both of them have good enough skill sets. Uh, and also putting maybe just another capable shooter in lineups around him. You know, whether you have like a, uh, a Shabazz Napier who was like, I think around 39% from the perimeter last year. You know, Spencer Dimity continues to improve. I think that's only going to uh, get him more open looks and, you know, keeping the ball moving. Uh, I think that's only going to give him more time and space, which I think should play well into his strengths and only increase his uh, uh, perceived weaknesses. Yeah, like you said, improve uh, ball movement as well. Even somebody like a Jared Dudley on the other side of the floor, they just really space it and keep the defense honest. And I think he's another guy who will benefit from having Ed Davis around setting some mean screens, as well also the creators improving. We talked about it about Spencer Dinwiddie, him creating, uh, Levert creating, D'Lo, even Shabazz to an extent. I think, you know, making his life a little bit easier. And like you said, maybe when he's hot, draw him up a few plays out of timeouts and whatnot, get him some open threes. You know, he's a guy that we can, we've saw knock down a couple in a game. So... Moving on to his role, though, Jack, uh, starter or bench player? Uh, it's a bench player, uh, but he did uh, last season through injuries you know, to Alan Crabb and such, and there is uh, an unfortunate ankle injury to Alan Crabb right now. We could see him you know, fill in every now and then. Uh, he's a starter in my heart, but he's a bench uh, overall player. 
Yeah, I think it's best for him, too, coming off the bench, bringing that energy and effort kind of can give you a nice little spike, especially if he knocks down a few threes. Now, minutes and usage-wise, what do you think? I think his minutes might drop, unfortunately. You know, he played 25.3 last season. Uh, quite a nice number. But I think with the amount of players we have on the, the roster right now, I think if Harris can, can prove his can prove his consistency even further, uh, it probably likely won't take a drop. But because there are so many other guys clamoring for minutes, you know, uh, guys that will probably see increased minutes like D'Lo and Karis LeVert, then Joe Harris is probably one of those guys that's going to be, you know, a virtue of the circumstance where he sees a couple of less minutes. But it shouldn't affect his play um, for me. But, you know, I'd give Joe Harris 38 minutes a night, but that's just uh, me. And that's why I'm not a Nets coach. Yeah, I, I think he could see a slight dip, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he stays the same because I think, you know, Kenny values spacing so much, so he likes to have Crab or Harris on the floor a lot of the time. And especially if Crab's already dealing with ankle injury now, you know, he's a guy that has got banged up in the past, so maybe it's a time he could pop back in the starting lineup once in a while. But usage-wise, I think around the same. You know, I know you mentioned you hope they let him create a little bit more. I don't know if he'll get that opportunity, but he should still see the same amount of shots. Yeah, I mean, if it, when you have one of the best three-point shooters in the league, one of the best drivers in the league by percentages, it, it'd be silly to take the ball out of his hands. Um, he could just be so effective uh, as a sort of a play finisher. Yeah, and I think one thing about Harris that allows him not to have a high usage rate and be so effective is that he makes very quick decisions. It's not like you see him like pump big three times at the line. It's either he's going to shoot the three or he's going to drive straight up on the defender and get to the rim and lay it in. He's a guy that really just is quick decision, keeps that ball moving. That's like really a strength that I don't even think we mentioned enough is that he just keeps the ball like fresh. You hardly ever see him like dribbling or standing around with the basketball, which is so important to keep the rhythm of the offense moving. But stat-wise, what do you think we're going to see, Jack? Yeah, before, I love the the point that you made there, Nick. I think instinctual basketball is what we want, you know, the all of our players to play, you know, whether it's anywhere on the nets or just everywhere in the NBA. Guys, these guys are so talented. They're the best players in the world. You know, obviously you want to drum into them the, the right schemes coaching-wise, but then you want them to be able to just go out there and just play basketball on an instinctual level. The best players do that, and Joe Harris seemed to do that. But in terms of stats, I'll go 10 points, three rebounds, two assists, and 40% from three. He might see a little drop, but he is elite from that range uh, and hopefully maybe even a little bit of an increase from the field overall maybe around that 45 to 47 percent range would be nice but um, I, I think he's going to be one of the better bench players in the league as he was last season yeah, I have pretty similar numbers. I think 11 points per game, you know, about two assists. I think four rebounds. Because one thing I've noticed in preseason after the – actually, what I've noticed in the Detroit game, it seemed like uh, Kenny wanted the guards and the wings to really get involved in rebounding. And I saw a lot more people around the rim. Hopefully that's something we see constantly during the season. That could result from more rebounds for some of the other guys like a Dinwiddie or Harris or the other previews we've already done. And then field goal percentage-wise, you know, I think it'll be around the same – Three-point percentage-wise, like, I have more confidence in him, Jack, than you right now. I think he'll maybe get, like, a shade over 42%. Not a big jump, but I think three-point shooters like him, they're just putting in so much work in the work ethic we saw last offseason, the last few years. I think he's a guy that's only going to get better from three because, you know, when you shoot that many shots over the last few summers, there's a good chance it'll go up. Yeah, we've seen um, some video from Nets Republic on Twitter in terms of from training camp and such. His mechanics are probably one of the best in the league. Easily probably the maybe the best in the Nets roster with Alan Crabb, but his mechanics, his ability to get off the shot so quickly and so smoothly with, you know, little hitch or anything is just 
something to remark at. Um, I remember I've mentioned this story before seeing, you know, one of my first ever Nets games and Joe Harris was out there. First guy I saw out there getting in some work and his mechanics are just, it was just a, a joy to watch. You know, I could watch it for hours on end and go to sleep to it. It was just absolutely beautiful just hearing that ball swish through. Um, I think that he, I, I, I like to, as you probably heard from, from most of the previews, I like to probably undersell a lot of our players. So then I, I look better and go, well, look, I, I said you would do worse. So you, you exceeded my expectations. But in terms of what you think he can be, Nick, can Joe Harris get to the mold of being one of the premier, you know, three-point shooters in the league? Kyle Korver, JJ Redick, but maybe a better defensive version of them. What do you think about his uh, possibilities in terms of getting into that range? I think, like you said earlier, he needs to work on that pull-up. It doesn't have to be like something where he's crossing somebody up and then pulling up, but when he's driving or he gets an open shot, a nice mid-ranger, just drop that down. But um, I think he can really get up there. Like you said, the shot is very pretty. I think he can really get up there in terms of maybe maybe not this season, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw like a career-high mark from Joe Harris one year that was like 45% from three, especially in this offense, and if they're surrounding him with more three-point shooters and things are just running smooth and people are creating for him. I don't see why he can't become one of the better three-point shooters in the league. You know, I don't think he'll ever be like a starter-type player unless it's in the right situation, but he'd be a guy you come off the bench and he could just knock down three or four threes or a guy where he comes off the bench and now you're running plays for him to get open jumpers. Yeah, we mentioned in our season review podcast about, you know, his numbers after the All-Star game. I think he was the best, if not the second best player from the perimeter. He's just awesome. Uh, and I think, you know, in terms of Korver and Redick, they've had success and their teams have had success. And that's reflected on, you know, how well they've been and how effective they've been. Redick for the for the Clippers and the Sixers, you know, two of the better teams over the past few seasons. Korver for the Cavs last season and then the Atlanta Hawks in his previous tenure, two of the better Eastern Conference teams. So I think... For Joe Harris, if the Nets start winning, play winning basketball, and we have that talent around him, it's only going to help him further. And, you know, if we can see him touch that sort of 45, uh, 40, 50, 90 season, 45, you know, 45, you know, uh, 85 range, you know, I think he's going to be one of the most effective bench players going further. And, you know, it's why in the offseason um, I was, you know, fingers and toes crossed and praying every night that he was going to be sticking around in a Nets uniform and why, you know, we got him for... You know, for me, a, a very nice contract. And, you know, over these next two seasons, he can continue to solidify his status as one of the best bench players and one of the best perimeter shooters. And I believe last year at some point, I don't know the final set in the season. I know Yes Network shows this a few times. Shooting above the break from three, he was shooting almost better than anybody. I think the only person ahead of him was like Clay Thompson. So, you know, he's just really good three-point shooter like we alluded to. And I think he's a guy that can continue to improve. And you mentioned, you know, the $8 million, it shows you that the Nets are invested in him and then also other teams had interest. And talking about other teams have interest, do you expect the Nets to get some phone calls this year about Joe Harris? And what do you think they'll do when they get those calls? I mean, they're going to hang up, Nick. If I, if you know, if I start to get Sean Marks in the text <laughs> line, if you get that Joe Harris call, you're, you're hanging up right away, mate. You, you block those calls, anything related to Joe Harris. You mute those tweets on Twitter. Uh, he's staying. He's kicking around. Um, but, you know, he is at, at that nice contract range in terms of if the Nets were make, willing to make a trade. Uh, we sort of talked about Spencer Dimity a little bit earlier. You need to have those sort of mid-tier contracts to be able to make a package deal. And I think the way the Nets or the way the Sean Marks is, you know, uh, compiling the roster in terms of the, the contracts available, to have a guy like Joe Harris on that 
nice sort of mid-tier, mid-level sort of contract is absolutely perfect. So I think that if the Nets get rid of Joe Harris, um, I will be extremely sad. But if they get rid of him for an absolute superstar, then, you know, I can only be so sad. But um, hopefully we get to see him in the three-point shooting contest or we get to see some more improvements from him going into the next season. But uh, Joe Harris uh, is just one of the uh, premier players when it comes to uh, stealing my love. And he's just... Uh, he's the love from him. I feel like I started the trend very early in the Brooklyn Buzz tenure, and I think everyone sort of it's on record. Board. It is. It's on record. It is literally. You know, check the check the accounts, check the pods. You know, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Check the old episodes. They're still worth a listen. Um, but Joe Harris is uh, one of the Nets' favorites, and I think he's gaining even more cult status with his uh, newfound beard and uh, shaggy hairstyle, so to speak. Yeah, and one thing about Harris in terms of the trade is he he's, has a lot of value because he can fit in so many different situations. Not only is three-point shooting a premium and it's something every team wants, but he's a guy that, like we mentioned before, really knows his role. So I think that's like as a contending team or somebody trying to make a playoff push, you're like, yeah, we could easily add Joe Harrison here and he can give us that shooting spacing we really need. Like there's a lot of teams in the league that could use a shooter like Joe Harris, and I'm sure that's why Sean Marks wanted to lock him up so soon. Now, Jack, would you prefer if he was involved in a trade that ended up getting the Nets like a big star, or do you think he could be involved in a trade where the Nets are maybe getting back like a late first round pick that's like a future late first round pick or something along those lines which one do you think is more likely we'll see this year if any uh I, th- I don't think either is likely Nick but in terms of my preference I prefer him to be packaged for a start because then I can say hey my boy Joe Harris was in that deal for Kevin Durant or whatever obviously that's <laughs> unlikely to happen but uh in terms of, you know, first round sort of picks, uh, I think that, you know, Spencer Dibley's probably more likely to garner those as we talked about a little bit earlier. But Joe Harris has such a, like you mentioned, such a skill set that is so coveted, you know, from teams and it fits the the modern NBA more than any other player that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, someone's desperate for just a guy who, to provide them that instant sort of spark off the bench, that three-point shooting, be it like a, a Pelicans or a Pistons, some of these sort of fringe NBA playoff teams, um, he'd fit perfectly in Houston, but I think that they they have enough sort of guys in, in that sort of similar mold. But for teams that are desperate, that are not sort of coveting their sort of first round picks, that they're in that sort of twenty to thirty range, that they're then I don't think that it's necessarily a bad deal. But the Nets have a, a, enough sort of picks going forward that I think that they need to start a, start stockpiling the talent, get that elite talent on the roster. And I think that unless it's like a, a top top pick, you know, top ten, uh, that I don't think it's necessarily worthwhile getting those sort of extra picks because uh, especially with this year's draft, you know, we've heard from guys like Dylan Jackson on OTG that it's not as deep as we thought, but at the same time, you know, first round picks, um, you know, you can't, you can't knock them back, I guess. Yeah, I think the one thing about first-round picks, maybe not having them all in one draft, but collecting a lot of future draft picks like we've seen Boston do, and now they're just mentioning every single trade that comes up on the market. But one reason I could see the Nets, you know, electing not to trade Joe Harris would be because of the value he's had to the culture. You know, a lot of players on the team and assistants and front office people have mentioned him as a guy that has really helped with that Nets culture and setting the tone. I think he's a guy you want to keep around because he does everything, you know, the right way from what we know. But any other last thoughts on Joe Harris? Not yeah. love related. I mean, <laughs> if the Joe Harris wasn't a, a Brooklyn net right now, I doubt that the Brooklyn Buzz would be as popular as it is. Uh, whether whether my love for Joe Harris pushes Nets fans away and Nets and Buzz listeners away or brings them in, uh, I am sorry. Uh, either way, but uh, my Joe Harris love is going to continue for as long as he's pulling on the black and white. Final thought: three point content. Let me say that again. Final thought: three point contest. Yes or no? 
Yeah, it is starting, Nicholas. Uh, as soon as October 16, 17 kicks around, uh, I am starting the bandwagon. Uh, Joe Harris is not going to shoot less than 40%, and he is going to get in. Um, him or Alan Crabb, Crabb Harris, Harris Crabb, you know, whatever hyphens you want to put in there, uh, it's going to happen. We're going to get a net in the three-point contest. It's the next uh, step above from the skills contest. I agree. I think they should at least get one in, especially if they're having a solid season. Obviously, if you're a really bad team and you have a good three-point shooter, you're less likely to get in. But if they have somebody shooting over 40% and they're in that playoff race, you know, I think the NBA kind of want to get hype back up in Brooklyn too. So getting another guy in that all-star game will help, especially if they sign another big free agent this offseason. The NBA is going to want to get that fan base really popping. But Jack, always a pleasure previewing Nets with you. As always, thank you everybody for listening. You can check us out on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, YouTube, and Dash Radio. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.